Like I said, Pastor Troy is at, uh, I want to say it's Bethany Baptist Church, but it's not the one in Louisville that we always pass that I always joke about the fact that that church has the same name as my wife, uh, but it's another Bethany Baptist. And uh, so while he's preaching there, I get to preach here. And so I, I already told him privately, but I'll, I'll tell him again publicly because I know that at some point he's going to watch the Facebook Live or he's going to listen to the, uh, to the podcast. And I just want to, again, tell him that I appreciate the fact that he lets me be the one who gets to preach about not frustrating your children and fathers don't make your kids angry. Uh, yeah. So full disclosure, um, I've only been a dad for 11 years. Uh, and so I have, uh, I, I've, I've got limited knowledge and experience as to how to be a really great dad. So if you were coming here this morning and you saw, uh, you've been following this, this series of, of building a family life center and it's not, remember, it's not about, uh, it's not about making, uh, a building, but about building Jesus into the center of our families. And so if you come this morning and you see, Hey, daddy's home and you're thinking, Oh great. We're going to get a really good message about how to be a great dad. Tune in next week, maybe, <laughs> because like I said, I, I've, I, I, I've only been a dad for 11 years and for 11 years, uh, I've been joking that my day is not finished. I don't feel like I've had a full day until I've made at least one of my three kids cry. And, and I typically get that job done. Um, so even though I've only been a dad for 11 years, I have had a father for 40 years. So I've seen the other side of this and, and I've had a dad that has, uh, been a godly example for me. And so like for, for, for me, the past 11 years has been my, uh, I've been trying to do my best to do the same kind of job that he did with Matthew and I. Uh, and so hopefully, hopefully he's, he, he thinks that I'm doing a pretty good job and, and my wife and family, it would be nice if they thought that too. So, uh, so that's where we're going to be this morning is now that you know who you've got, you can kind of temper everything that comes after that. Okay. So daddy's home. That's, that's the, uh, that's the title for today. And, uh, and it's, it's also the name of a movie. I've not seen it and I don't know that I would suggest it either, but it, it, it's it's the name of a movie. And um, these words, they uh, whew, they can elicit a lot of emotions, right? They can either it's either dad's home and everyone's excited, or dad's home, run, you know, or something like that. Okay, for for me and my brother, we we had. Uh, it was neat because where, where my mom and dad's house is situated, it's uh, it's one of those things that we w- we could stand anywhere in the basement, like the living room or the kitchen or the little area where you walk in that we don't really know what it is exactly, but it's just there. And uh, but when my mom or dad would come home in the afternoon, and, and we discovered this young when when we were you know middle school or whatever, uh, is that. Mom and dad would pull into the driveway, and as they pulled in to where they park, something miraculous would happen, okay? Sunlight would hit their windshield, and as they made that turn, the sunlight would go through the whole house, which gave us about 15 seconds to get our act together because we knew daddy's home. So we got it, and so like I said, it was either, woo, excited or run for your life. 
you know, because we've been misbehaving. Um, my mom, bless her heart, she 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 was she she has been a saint all my life, and we there were, oh man, there were there were many times that we heard those dreaded words. Just wait till your, yeah, some of y'all heard it too, right? So wait till your dad gets home. Matthew and I, I don't, I don't know what we would do to elicit that response from my mom. Bobby Moore probably has some ideas because he used to live by us um, as kids. And we, we would get that response every now and then. And at that point, we knew that it was trouble. So we started praying for several things. Flat tires, overtime, mom to lose her mind for a few minutes and just have amnesia because we did not want her to tell dad whatever it was that we had done. Okay, and so, and then that dreaded moment would come when the sunshine would shine through the house, and we would know all hope is lost, (laughs) dad is home, and we are now in trouble. But more often than not, when that light would come through the house, we were excited because that meant that dad was home from work and that we were going to get to play with dad. Uh, or we were going to get to go out and do things like work in the garage with dad. And, and dad was always tinkering with something, weed eaters, lawnmowers, tractors, uh, things that, you know, we, we might get them fixed. We might not, but we had a good time trying no matter what. And, uh, and there was always, if, if, if it didn't work at our house, we knew that we could take it over to Carter's and that Ernie would figure it out. And when it came back to our house, it would work. And so, right? Yeah. And so, uh, so we had a lot of fun, but Ephesians chapter six and Colossians chapter three this morning is where we are going to sit and, and just listen to God. And, uh, and these two verses, I joke that these are, that these are, these are verses that dads, we don't want to listen to very often because they can be hard to follow through with. But I think that it's something that, that as dads, and not just as dads, as grandfathers and as parents and as grandparents, as mentors, okay, aunts and uncles. If you have a child in your life, even though this is, even though Paul is speaking to fathers, if there is a child in your life who you have responsibility over, whether it be as a parent, a grandparent, aunt or uncle, a cousin, someone who you love dearly, maybe it's a big brother, big sister type deal, and you're mentoring that child, these verses are for all of us, okay? So even though he says fathers, and and I'm going to talk a little bit to dads, this is for all of us. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, this is what Paul says. He says, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And then over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, he says this. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Let's pray. Father, we just pray right now. I pray that as we open your word and that as we begin to unpack the truth that you've given us, God, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning and help us to understand exactly what it is you want us to hear, Father. I pray that as I speak this morning that you would just hide me behind you, Father. And if there's anything of me in this sermon that doesn't need to be there, Father, I pray that you would remove it this morning, that you would shine through, and that ultimately uh, the glorious fact that you are our Father would shine. 
and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in order to have a home that has the presence of the Father, it needs to have the presence of a Father. That's at the top of your notes. And, and, and so somehow I, I got these out of order because it says Daddy's home at the top, and then it says that. We're going to skip over that, and we'll come back to that at the end. And so I want to jump to what's, what says second point in yours, and it's anger management. This is, uh, this is a movie poster from a movie called Anger Management. It's got Adam Sandler and Jack Nicholson. And uh, it's, it's, I don't know whether I'm really allowed to reference Adam Sandler movies in church or not, but I did uh, because I, I think this one to me is super funny. And, uh, and the idea is that Adam Sandler's character in this movie, he has, he has issues with commitment and he's really passive aggressive and he, he tries to avoid conflict at all costs. Like he just, he doesn't want anything. If it's a bit uncomfortable, he doesn't want anything to do with it. And then there's Jack Nicholson who his idea of, he is a, uh, he is an anger, anger management specialist and something happens in the life of Adam to where he's on a plane and there's something that happens with he and a stewardess and, and, and it becomes a big misunderstanding. And as in most comedies, everything gets super overblown and calamity ensues. And the next thing you know, he's in, he's in court and he's being directed to go and take anger management classes. Uh, and he gets saddled with Jack Nicholson. And so it, hilarity ensues because what Adam doesn't know is this whole thing has been set up by his girlfriend who just wants him to ask her to marry him. And so he, he gets arrested, he gets in a fight, he gets, you know, all these different things. And it's all because of Jack. Jack orchestrates everything. And he's, and the biggest thing that he's trying to do is he's trying to bring a reaction out of Adam. And, and it's, it's absolutely, to me, it's just funny because his whole plan is to stir up anger inside Buddy so that Buddy, or inside Adam, so that he would respond and as dads, that's something that the Bible tells us that we're not supposed to do, that we're not supposed to stir up anger in our children. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll, we'll read it again. It says, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So while, while, uh, <laughs> while this is a funny movie, it's not the model that we should follow Okay, I think there's a better model that we should go with, especially as as parents and people who love kids. We don't want to stir up anger in our children because that he says uh, he says bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so I think there's a, a few things that we need to realize here. One, this isn't something that happens overnight. It just doesn't. We, we like the idea. We live in a society to where it's quick fix. Okay. We want things and we want them now. As a matter of fact, there's, there, I think it's, uh, there's some commercial. I don't remember who it's from, but he says the, the whole commercial is I want my money. It's my money and I want it now. And that's, that's kind of how we live. We want, we want our stuff now. When we go to the drive through, if we have to sit for more than, you know, three or four minutes, we're irritated and, we're, and our food just doesn't taste as good. If we go to the ATM and there's a line, we just want our money and we can't get to it. You know, when we go to the grocery store, Rather than, rather than wait in line, we will go over and we will do the cashier's job and you know, take jobs away from people and just scan it ourselves so that we don't have to wait because obviously we can do a better job, right? So we want things right now. This is one of those instances, though, where you can't have it right now. This is something that takes time. 
It's a process. Uh, sanctification, for instance, when we give our hearts to Jesus, salvation is immediate. Sanctification happens over time as our hearts become more and more like Jesus every single day. And it happens through the process of discipleship. And that's what Paul is really talking about this morning is discipleship. He's saying moms, dads, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, we have a responsibility to disciple our children. Okay? It's not happened here, but I have had it happen in the in the past where somebody will come to me and they will, they will tell me, "Hey, my my niece or my nephew or, or so-and-so is coming to stay with us this summer. Mom and dad are having a hard time. And so I just want to bring them to church and you could fix them, right? And I go, nope, you're welcome to bring them, but I can't even fix my kids, much less your kids. And, and mine are the ones that I'm really concerned about, right? Because I want to make sure they turn out. I'm going to do everything I can to, you know, to help all of the children that come here on Wednesday night and on Sunday mornings and that go to camp with us to learn about how much God loves them and how much Jesus wants to be a part of their lives. But ultimately, I can't undo what is done. I can't undo in two hours what has happened at home in the last six days. Okay? I'm, I'm not that good. Okay, I, I keep trying to undo the mistakes that I make at home. Okay, so to undo everybody else's mistakes is impossible. But God can. God can. And when he says that we are to train our children to be like Christ, there's another verse that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and later in life he will not depart from it. Meaning that if we will teach our children the things of God when they are young, that even though they may stray that at some point those truths will ring true and come back. And it's a boomerang effect. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is, is the go-to passage for children's ministry. Uh, because in the Old Testament, this is what God says. He says, as you come and as you go. So in your comings and goings, every day when you go out and when you come back in, as you walk along the road, talk about what God has done. For us, that would be when you leave to go to soccer practice, when you leave to go to gymnastics, when you're driving in the car to and from wherever you're going, when you're on your way home, talk about the things that God is doing, not just in your children's lives, but the things that they don't see, the way God does different things throughout your day to just show you that he's there and show you that he loves you. It says, write them on the doorposts of your house. So that every time you go in and out of your house, you see the truth of God and you remember it. It says, tie tassels onto your clothing to remind you of the truths that I've given you. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he's saying. He's saying, do all of this for one purpose, to remember how much I love you and how, much, how far I have gone for you. But not just that, to instill those truths in our children. Because that is our job. The church is here as a whole. We are here to help. And when I say the church, I don't mean this place and this staff. I mean the church. I mean us as a body of Christ. We are the church. When children come into this building, it's not just me who is supposed to love on them and teach them about Jesus. It's you. 
That's why we have so many people volunteer for Vacation Bible School every single year. And why this year we had 17 boys and girls pray to give their hearts to Jesus. Not because of me. I couldn't accomplish that. But because as a church, we work together to see the will of God done. And when we do that, God shows up. So don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Take time to discover our Heavenly Father's plan for your home. And then, with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, those, that list, gentleness and self-control, the things that God tells us about in Galatians chapter 5, train and equip your family to fulfill their calling. You know, we think sometimes that it's pastors and associate pastors and ministers and deacons, other lay people who serve, that they're the ones that are called by God. The truth of the matter is, is we're all called. If you are a follower of Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, we have been called and commissioned to go and to do the things that God lays out in his word. God has a plan for each and every one of us, and he has a plan for each and every child that he entrusts to us, whether here, at home, or out in the community. Some of you guys are like halfway houses because you've got so many kids that come over to your house from the neighborhood because your, your house is the cool house to play. My mom and dad, when, when I was younger, uh, they decided at, at one point they were going to put in a pool. Matthew and I thought it was because they loved us. Turns out it, we, we were right, but it wasn't, the, it wasn't for the reason we thought. We thought they just loved us and wanted to give us a pool. My mom and dad were just thinking ahead, and they thought, hey, you know what? If we have a pool, Travis and Matthew, their friends are going to want to come to our house, and then we'll always know where our kids are, and we won't ever have to worry about it. So it was, you know, they, they had ulterior motives, but ultimately it was because they loved us. You know, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to... Do things in our kids' lives. Take responsibility and show them, train and equip them to fulfill God's will in their life. Victorious coaching. All right, so if you're not a UK fan, that guy is probably not your favorite guy on the planet. That's Coach Cal. If you are a UK fan, chances are that's not necessarily the the greatest guy that you've ever known okay but regardless of how you feel about coach cal his past present future whether you think he's a cheater or a liar or whatever here's what i know about coach cal for the last several years at uk he has been very very successful and this picture to me is one of the the greatest pictures i think of his success because this is when he was inducted into the basketball hall of fame and when he was in, it was something that a lot of people never thought would happen. Okay, they, ne- for, they never thought he would win a national ch- title. They never thought he would get, they certainly didn't think he would get into the Basketball Hall of Fame, you know, for whatever reason, but it happened. And so during his speech, he did something that had never been done before. He asked all of his former players who were in attendance to come up on stage with him. And 64 men stood up from the crowd and walked up and stood behind Coach Cal. 64 men. And, 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 and it's not just, you know, there, there, are, some, there are some guys on this, on this, in this photo who didn't play in the NBA. But there are others who went on to be superstars. John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Carl Anthony Towns, uh, 
Anthony Davis, my, my daughter would be very disappointed if I forgot his name. Anthony Davis. There's even, you, I don't know if you guys can pick him out, but he's right under the Atlanta Hawks symbol, Marcus Camby, from all the way back when, when Cal was at UMass. And so he calls these players up on stage and he gives a really emotional uh, speech. It was, it was rather good. It's on YouTube. You can go watch it. But one of the things that he does was really funny. He said, okay, without looking... If I held you back as a basketball player at any point while I was your coach, raise your hand. And he waits for a second. He goes, all right, so I didn't look, but DeMarcus Cousins has his hand up, right? And everybody laughs because sure enough, DeMarcus was the one guy who raised his hand because he was always cutting up. I could have been better on my own without anybody, but he loves Cal. And to a man, these, these players have been interviewed over and over and over again. And they all said the same thing, that Coach Cal loves us, and Coach Cal got us ready for what's next. Not only that, while he's been at Kentucky, Coach Cal has said the same thing over and over and over again. And as Kentucky fans, we get tired of hearing it because we, we, at some point we begin to think it's coach speak, and that's just all he can say. But then as you start looking at things, you realize that maybe he actually means it. And so this morning... This is what I would tell you. Coach Cal says, you know what? When these guys come here, it's going to be a player's first community. It's going to be a player's first program. In other words, whatever their needs are, those are what's going to be met. And whatever it takes to get them ready for the what comes after this, that's what we're going to do. Whether it be getting them ready for the NBA or whether it be getting them ready to go overseas and play basketball. Whether it means getting them ready for a career outside of basketball because they don't intend or they're not able to continue with that because of their skill level, or maybe they just desire to do something else. Whatever they want to do, we're going to do our absolute best to make sure that they achieve it and that they're successful. In Colossians 3.21, this is what Paul says. It says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Cal talks a lot about coaching these players. And one of the things he says is, he says, there's 64 people in this picture other than Cal. And he says, and I had to coach each individual differently. Because what worked for DeMarcus Cousins wouldn't work for Carl Anthony Towns. And what worked for them wouldn't necessarily work for John Wall. Not because they played different positions, but because they're different people. He said, this young man, he may be really hard-headed and I have to scream and yell. Whether he does have to or not doesn't matter. It's just, this is how he says, he says, I may have to scream and yell at this person to get things through and they can handle it. But if I screamed and yelled at this person, they're going to go into a shell and they're not going to perform and they're just going to be discouraged and they'll think that I don't love them. So I have to handle this one one way. I have to handle another one another way because Ultimately, I need all of them to understand one thing. I love you, and I'm going to do absolutely everything I can to make you successful. Because when I tell them that, they want to do whatever I ask them to do. They're willing to give that extra effort. But if I don't approach it that way, they become discouraged, and then they clam up. Cal, there's been... A number of times throughout his career where it's been, 
where it's been asked, you know, is he going to the NBA? Is he going? And then I'll read this and then I'll stop talking about Cal because this is one of those things that I just think speaks here clearly to what is referenced here in Scripture. Cal says, when asked about whether or not he's going to go to the NBA, he says, you know, I don't. I don't think so. I went through some things last year and I had a simple question for an owner. The impact I have on these young people... The impact to help change their families' lives, the impact I have in the seat I'm in at Kentucky to move people in a positive way, can I have that in the NBA? Where do I get the satisfaction from? What do we do that has an impact on a community, has an impact on people, or am I just coaching to try to help you make more money and win a championship? Tell me how, because I'm in a stage of my life that that is what matters most. Parents, grandparents, mentors. When we've been given a responsibility to love and to care for these kids, that's what we have to do. We have to look at what sacrifices are we going to need to make? What choices do we need to make to make sure that they're able to accomplish the things that they want to accomplish, but more importantly, to accomplish what God has set forth for them to accomplish? This book is powerful. The Bible said it's sharper than any two-edged sword, but the problem with a two-edged sword is it cuts two ways. You see, this book can be used to build people up and to raise them up, to breathe life into situations and into lives of other people. But we've also seen evidence where people have taken the same book and used it to beat down people, to break their spirits, to do evil Haven't we? And this is what Paul is talking about when he says, do not exasperate your children so that they do not become discouraged. If the only time you use what you know in this word is to discourage your kids from doing bad things or to punish them or different things like that, we push them away from God. We... we, we accomplish the exact opposite of what we want to do. The Bible is, yes, it's to be used to admonish and to train and to correct. But it's also used, should be used to build up and encourage and breathe life and hope into our kids. I've got a picture of Isaac that I want to show you guys. And just so you know, this is between us, Okay. Like he, if he knows this is on the screen, I will have just broken the rule here and exasperate my child and make him angry. Okay, so this is just between us. This is Isaac. Last night was haircut night at our house. And as you can see, Isaac now has a mohawk, which to most everybody, they're like, so what? He's got a mohawk. A thousand kids are running around every day with mohawks. That's exactly right. The problem is, is that apparently for the past three years, my son has been asking me to let him get a mohawk. And I don't remember being asked or, I don't, or saying no, but apparently for the past three years, I have been like the, the barrier to fun at my house and the wall that everybody has to go around. And I've been saying no. And so last night we're in the kitchen and Bethany has just finished cutting Anna's hair and it's now time for Isaac. And he gets up in the chair and we've got the clippers and she goes, okay, so I'm just going to cut it all the same length. Is that what you want? And he goes, no, 
I want a mohawk, but dad won't let me have one. And I promise you, he's doing, it's exactly like that. And I'm, I'm at the kitchen table and I look over and I go, what are you talking about? He goes, you always say no, dad. Always. Every time I say I want a mohawk, you say no. And I said, you've never asked me about a mohawk. And Bethany goes, three years. And I go, oh my word. Okay. So here's the deal. Sometimes we exasperate our children. We don't even have a clue. We don't even know we're doing it. And here's the point. If there is one thing that I, like I said, I'm not an expert at this. Okay. But if there is one thing that I've learned in the last 11 years of being a dad, it's that it takes my full attention. The minute I take my eye off the ball, I frustrate my kid for three years over a silly haircut. It doesn't seem like much. But when it comes to God's word and the truth that's found in here, it's a lot. It's, it's huge. We can't exasperate our kids when it comes to the things of God. Now hear me on this. I, I will be the first one to tell you that my children, they don't have a choice in whether or not they're going to church. It's just not going to happen. Not because I'm a pastor, because I don't, I, don't, I don't let them decide whether they're going to brush their teeth or whether they're going to take a bath. I don't let them decide when they get old enough that their bodies start doing strange things that they do. I don't let them decide whether they're going to wear deodorant or not. I tell them, you're going to do this. You're going to brush your teeth every day, morning and night, possibly in the middle somewhere. You're going to shower. And when we go to camp this week, I don't give the kids an option. I say, we're going to shower every day. And they hate me for it. And I'm okay with it because every day they sweat and they stink. And I have to sleep with one in my room who's not related to me. Okay? I tell them, you're going to brush your teeth. Because I love you, I make you do these things. I don't give them an option. You're going to do your homework, right? But you know what? When it comes to going to church, you can decide. It's cool. You just, whatever you want to do, right? Seriously? It is our job as parents to teach these things to our children. Not the job of the pastors or their Sunday school teachers, who, by the way, do a really great job. Our Sunday school teachers are killing it each Sunday, telling our kids about God. But that's not their job. It's not their full responsibility. That's us as parents and grandparents, as caretakers, as mentors. We are the ones who have to tell them. So make your kids go to church. Even if they don't want to. Let them decide. You can let them decide if they're going to play video games. Don't let them decide if they're going to church. They need you we we have to introduce these things and then we encourage with what we've learned i had a conversation last week with uh with a former student who was struggling with some issues and uh and we talked about a number of things and one of the things that i, I finally landed on and, and i told them i said you know what i've, I've got a verse because they were talking about something and they were talking about how they were afraid to do something. Even though we have talked about this a hundred times, the two of us. And 
full knowledge that this is what God wants me to do, but they haven't followed through with it because they're afraid they're going to fail at this or they're going to fail at that. And so I stopped and, and, I, and I took them to First uh, Thessalonians and I said, I want you to read this, or First Timothy, and I said, I want you to read this verse. Because it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I said, I just want you to pay attention to that first part because God has not given us a spirit of fear. And I said, and if it doesn't come from God, it has to come from somewhere. So where's it coming from? And he said, well, I guess the devil. And I said, exactly. It's coming from the enemy. I said, the problem is you've got this in your hand. You've got this in your pocket. You've got it in your, your phone, your, your iPad, whatever. You've got the gun. You just don't have any bullets because you don't know what's in it. And that's my last thing is we can't teach what we don't know. Throw that next picture up there, Neil. Called my dad this morning or sent him a message and uh, said, I need you to go to the kitchen table and just take a picture of your spot at the table. Because I knew this was what I would get. This is my dad's Bible and his Sunday school lesson. Now, the funny thing is, is he's not a Sunday school teacher. He's just that one person in the Sunday school class that reads their lesson each week to make things easier on the teacher. And, and if you guys are like my dad, your teachers love you because you, you get to conversate and talk about what's going on. And, but this was every Sunday of my life that I would walk into the kitchen. The table has changed over the years, but the spot has remained the same. Every Sunday, that's where my dad's Bible and that's where his Sunday school lesson is. Because he gets up early before all of the rest of us and he studies his Sunday school lesson and he reads his Bible. And the neat thing is, is that throughout the week, I will find his Bible there with no Sunday school book. Because he would do the same thing in the mornings. He would wake up before all of the rest of us. He would make his coffee. He would sit down and he would read the word. And here's the thing. I can tell you that my kids don't always find my Bible. As a matter of fact, if you were to poll my children individually and ask them, what does daddy read? I, I would be scared. I'll just, I'll just be completely honest. I, I, would, I would be scared to find out where on their list the Bible would be. You know, I'm, the Handyman Magazine would, would, would make the list because it's always laying around, and, and we read that when, when nothing else is laying around. Or, or Harbor Freight. Uh, we read the Harbor Freight ad like our lives depend on it at my house. Me and Isaac, we comb through it like we're going to find gold. Okay? But dads, where, where do they, what do they see us read? Do they know? If, could your child send you a message this morning and say, hey, go take a picture of XYZ knowing that your Bible would be there and open where you left it because you had been reading it? Do they know where your Bible is? Do we know where our Bibles are? Not just dads, but all of us. If we're caring for kids and we're trying to teach them the things that are in here, if we don't know what's in here, we can't teach it to them. 
It's impossible. So I'm not just preaching at you guys. This is me. You know, there's a hundred reasons why I was so thankful Troy gave me this passage. But I think the reason that it fell on this Sunday to me was because God wanted me to get something as much as he wanted anybody else to get get something. I told a story at early service. Uh, Carla Dunn, one of the ladies who sings with us at early service, I accidentally sent her a text message uh, that was that was meant for my wife one time, and it basically said, "Hey, just so you know, when you get home, Anna's phone has been taken away from her or her iPod or whatever because she was misbehaving and she can't have it back until X Y Z." Just so. We're on the same page. And as soon as I hit send, I realized that the wrong name was at the top of the phone. And so I immediately texted back, oh, I'm sorry, that was for Bethany. And the message I got back was, I'm so glad that you sent that to me because I thought I was the only one who had trouble with their kids. And I'm like, well, first of all, I don't see how anybody thinks they're the only one. But second, we don't have it all together. Pastors, associate pastors, ministers, deacons. We we drop the ball too. We mess up. We all do. That's where grace comes in. Grace comes from our Heavenly Father because the one thing that God never does is mess up. So here's the deal. Whether, whether you are a dad who has absolutely been killing it and doing a great job, if you are, fantastic. Keep going. Find a dad next to you or close to you in your life that needs a little bit of help and pull them along with you. We could all use a little leg up. Maybe you're in a home where dad's not there. Whatever the reason is, there's a hundred reasons. And you're the one who has had to step in as dad or as caregiver. Take courage and take heart because you're not in it alone. If you're here this morning, you have a family who's there to support you. And even more important than this family who's here to support you is the Heavenly Father who's there to support you. So when you need a dad, like I said in the beginning, in order to have a home that has the presence of the Father, it needs to have the presence of a father. And if you have to play that fatherly role, male or female, if you're stepping in because that role needs to be filled and somebody has to do it and it turns out to be you and you feel inadequate, it's okay. Because we are inadequate. The Bible tells us that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so when we can't handle it on our own, we weren't designed to. We were designed to lean on the one who has the answers and who has the strength and can carry not only us through whatever we're having to help our kids deal with, but can carry them through it too. And so this morning, I just want to offer you some encouragement. Maybe, maybe you've not been getting it right. It's okay. Because from this moment forward, we can. We can do our best. We will trip and fall along the way. And when we, when we do... We can pick ourselves back up and know that we can continue on because God is walking with us. So, to close, I've got one question. At your house, is daddy home at your house? 
Not just physically with you, but the Spirit of God. Is the Holy Spirit, is the Heavenly Father, is He present in your house? And if not, are you willing to let Him in today? Because the, the truth is, He wants in. He wants to be a part of your family. He wants to be a part of your life. Jesus says that He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him we might be saved. The world might be saved. He loved us so much that he gave his only son to die for us so that we could have eternal life with him. This morning, if you're here and you've never given your heart to Christ, maybe you don't even know fully what that means. We'd love to start that conversation this morning. Maybe you're here and you've been coming and you've been attending for a while, but you've never become a part of this family of believers. Today's a great day to jump on board. And have the support of a family outside of your house. Maybe you just want to come and you just want to get alone with God for a minute. Just say, you know, maybe I haven't been doing it right. Maybe I've been dropping the ball. But I'll pick it back up with your help. You know, the altar is a great place to spend a little one-on-one time with God. Whatever the case may be this morning, we're going to sing here in just a moment. And as we do, we want to invite you to to make whatever decision God wants you to make. That's your invitation. However God wants you to move, move this morning. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the fact that you love us. And that in the moments when, when our strength is gone or completely inadequate, that your strength is sufficient. God, we just pray that this morning, uh, whatever the case may be in our homes, whether it's been joyous sounds when daddy is home, or whether it's been another type of home where daddy's home meant fear. God, we know that it's different in each home, but we ultimately know that, Father, the home where you are present is full of joy and it's full of grace. And so, God, we just pray that you would not only fill our hearts this morning, but that you would fill our homes with your presence. And Father, just do something amazing in our lives. Lord, just uh, whatever decision you want us to make this morning, I pray that we would make it and that our lives would be changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.